Well, I want to talk with you a little bit about anticipation. Anticipation is actually a great thing. Uh, Christy says before every date um, that we go on, um, she, she says that I love the anticipation of knowing that this is going to happen. She actually wants to know about the date a few days in advance. So if you are a husband, just pocket that away. Maybe that's the same thing for your wife. Um, so, But the reason that she wants to know about it is because it um, helps her to be excited about that thing. She's looking forward to it, an evening out. And so part of the fun also of like birthdays um, or special events is knowing that the day is, is coming up. Uh, the anticipation of a present or a fun time um, with your friends um, makes it all the more enjoyable when you get that present or that enjoyable birthday party. Um, knowing that an event is coming and having to wait for it to happen uh, makes it an even bigger deal. Uh, we do not always get to anticipate good or happy events, though. Um, sometimes we know that something difficult is coming um, and waiting for it to actually happen can feel like agony to us. An example of this is when we know that someone um, that we love or a dear friend is planning to move to another state or another country. And you know that it won't be the same. You're not going to be able to see them as much. And sometimes you don't know when you will see them again. And so as you spend time with them and the days leading up to them moving, it becomes harder and harder as um, each day gets closer and closer for them to leave. And so the Gospel of John has been anticipating an event from the very beginning. Uh, This event is described as Jesus' hour or his time. Uh, In John chapter 2 verse 4 is the first mention of this. His mom comes to him and tells him about the problem of they've, they've run out of wine at the wedding. And she tells him, do something about this. He replies to her, my hour has not yet come. Why do you trouble with me? Why do you trouble me with these things? And then um, we see it again in um, chapter 7, verse 6. He says, my time has not yet come. And then again in chapter 7, verse 30, and chapter 8, verse 20, where no one would lay a hand on him to arrest him because his hour had not yet come. But in chapter 12, and verses 23 and 27, the language changes. We're moving forward towards the hour. He says, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. And he says, now, my soul, now is my soul troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. But he says, but for this purpose, I have come to this hour. And so in our passage um, this morning and the farewell discourse um, all the way through has been leading up to this hour. um, But our passage this morning, the hour has come. Jesus was known, has known for that this time would come and he knew that it would be um, torturous and difficult Um, but it would also be glorious and amazing. It would be full of pain and gain. And this hour is the reason that he came. And now it causes him to pray um, to the Father. And John 17 is the prayer that Jesus said. The prayer can be divided into three parts based on who Jesus is praying for. I mean, if you see in verses 1 to 8, Jesus is praying for himself. 
And then in verses 9 um, to 19, he changes to praying for those who believe the gospel. And then in the final verses, 20 to 26, he is praying for those who will believe the gospel in the future. And so keeping um, this in mind, keep this in mind as we read the chapter. And will you please stand for the reading of God's word? I'll be reading all of John um, 17. says this when jesus had spoken these words he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said father the hour has come glorify your son that the son may glorify you since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given him and this is eternal life that they know you the only true god and jesus christ whom you have sent i glorified you on earth having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. I have manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of the world. Yours they were, and you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Now they know that everything that you have given me is from you. Now I have given them the words that you gave me, and they have received them and have come to know in truth that I came from you. And they have believed that you sent me. I am praying for them. I am not praying for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours. All mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I am glorified in them. And I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world, and I am coming to you. Holy Father, keep them in your name, which you have given me, that they may be one, even as we are one. While I was with them, I kept them in your name, which you have given me. I have guarded them, and not one of them has been lost except the son of destruction, that the scripture might be fulfilled. But now I am coming to you, and these things I speak, and these things I speak in the world, that they may have my joy in them fulfilled in themselves. I have given them your word, and the world and the world has hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sake, I consecrate myself that they also may be sanctified in truth. I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may be that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one, even as we are one. I in them and you in me, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them even as you loved me. Father, I desire that they also, whom you have given me, may be with me where I am, to see my glory that you have given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, even though the world does not know you, I know you, and these words that you have sent, and these know that you have sent me. I made them, I made known to them your name, and I will continue to make it known that the love with which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. And so the reason that Jesus is um, praying for the people um, is so that they will know God and then so that they will make 
um, him known to others. And that's my sermon in a sentence um, this morning. Um, Jesus makes God known to people and he wants believers to do the same. And so as I said um, before, Jesus' prayer is um, made up of three parts and that is how we are going to kind of divide and structure our time uh, this morning. Uh, we will see how Jesus prays for God to be glorified uh, um, for th- and then he prays for those who believe the gospel and then he will pray for those who will believe the gospel in the future. He's praying, he prays for us today. So our first point, um, God is glorified through obedience to his will. And so the obedience um, that we see in these verses is done by Jesus. Jesus has done all that the Father called him to do. And Jesus was set apart for a specific purpose and he had accomplished it up to this point in his life and he would faithfully finish uh, the purpose in the chapters to come in John. And the purpose that he was set apart for is stated in verse 6 of our passage this morning. Jesus manifested or showed God's name to the people whom he was given out of the world. He was faithfully, um, he faithfully fulfilled what John 1.18 says. It says, no one has ever seen God. The only God who is at the Father's side, he has made him known. The he who has made him known is Jesus. When Jesus manifested um, the name of God, it was showing the entire character of God to the world. When people saw Jesus, they saw God in his true identity. God was no longer only um, revealed by way of a burning bush like in Exodus 3 um, or a, a voice from heaven, but revealed in the person and work of Jesus Christ for people to see and know the name of God. And so as Jesus faithfully showed God to the people and gave them the words that the Father had given them, um, people believed. They received the words as truth and they believed that Jesus came from the Father. And because of this, they now know God. Um, they, they know the only true God and Jesus Christ whom he has sent to reveal God. This knowing of God is eternal life as verse 3 says. Knowing God in this way has both an, an academic um, reality, but also an experiential reality. We've all experienced knowing about something um, in these kind of two ways. We can talk about something, um, we, we, can, we can actually know something, and we can talk about something, um, but not really know it. And so when I was at, uh, in college at K-State, I had a job um, framing houses. Now, I knew about houses um, before my first day of work. After all, I had lived in one my whole life. I knew the basics. Square rooms, summer rectangles, roofs like this. You know, they're made of two by four, there's sheetrock, there's some level of wiring in there. You know, I knew about houses. On the first day of work, my boss gave me a piece of paper with a list of lengths on it. And he said, put together some headers and then let me know when you're done. I looked at the list. I replied to him. I don't really know what a header is. He then made an audible sigh. (sighs) 
that's what we're working with, huh? <laughs> and I was honest with him. Yeah, that's what you're working with. But I'll, I'll, I'll do my best to learn. I'll ask questions if I don't know what you're talking about and try not to make it up on my own and mess things up even further than they already may be. And he's like, that's good. If you have a question, please ask. But, but as I worked um, to frame that first house, I gained an experiential knowledge of what makes up a house. I understood um, what is behind um, the sheetrock in the house. And um, I understood uh, what is um, actually holding the house up and how things are working and what walls are doing and why a beam is important or not important. And so the disciples who are with Jesus um, during the farewell discourse, they knew about God before Jesus called them to follow him. Um, They were Jewish people in the first century. Um, They went to the feasts and the festivals. They understood um, the rules. They learned about the Torah. But their academic knowledge of God, it changed to an experiential knowledge as Jesus manifested God to them. And through this, they came to know God And it's through this type of knowledge that they had eternal life. This was Jesus' mission and his purpose. And this is the work that Jesus was consecrated or set apart for. And he did it perfectly. This this obedience to the mission is actually the thing that glorified God. The way these verses use glory and glorified, um, you could substitute in the word honor. Jesus is showing God honor in his obedience. And so another way to say our main point here is that God is honored through obedience to his will. And so for us, as God's people, if you believe the gospel, um, you are also called to show him honor through your obedience to his will. And so what has God called believers to do? Well, some of them we are called to love one another, to bear each other's burdens, to encourage and exhort each other to follow Christ, to build up one another with the word, to live in unity because of our identity in Christ. And so how are you doing in these things? Is there something that you need to um, repent of this week so that you can better um, bring God glory through obedience to his will? And our passage um, doesn't leave us just kind of brainstorm um, the different ways that, um, of what God's will is for our life. It makes two things um, very clear, and these are in our next um, sections of the passage. Our second point is this. Um, those who believe the gospel are set apart for God and God's work. So Jesus has switched from um, praying uh, for God to glorify him um, to praying for those who have believed the gospel. The them in verse 9 are the people who the Father has given Jesus out of the world. Um, Jesus wants it to be clear um, that um, he is not praying for the world, but for the people that are God's. The ones who have been chosen out of the world. A couple of weeks ago, Pastor Josh preached on um, what Jesus meant by the world. The world is, is the people who do not believe God. It is, it is the institutions and the way of living and the ideals and the ideas um, that are not for God or of God. People who are living for their own gain and satisfaction rather than for God's glory, they are not God's people. 
And so the reason that Jesus prays for believers is because He is coming to the Father and will no longer be in the world. Literally, He will not be physically here on earth with the disciples and believers. He has um, been faithful to keep the believers in God's name while He was with them, and He did not lose any. The only one that was lost was the son of destruction, Judas. And the reason for this is because it would fulfill the Scripture. In, in the prayer, Jesus is referring um, to what he said in chapter 13, verse 18, when he was washing the disciples' feet. This verse says, I am not speaking of all of you. I know whom I have chosen. But the scripture will be fulfilled. fulfilled. He who ate my bread has lifted his heel against me. This is applying Psalm um, 41, verse 9 to Judas. Even my close friend in whom I trusted, who ate my bread, has lifted his heel against me. And so because Jesus is going to uh, the Father, he prays for the Father to keep believers in his name. He wants them to persevere in their faith. And so this keeping um, in God's name does not mean that they will be taken out of the world. Jesus actually doesn't want that to happen. He wants believers um, to remain in the world, um, but not to be of the world. He prays for them to be kept from the evil one, from Satan, and for them to be sanctified in the truth. In verse 19, he says that he has consecrated himself for their sake. He has set himself apart for the specific purpose of helping people to know God and to give eternal life to all who know the Father and Jesus Christ whom he has sent. The way that Jesus accomplished this was through his death on the cross. All people were a part of the world at one point in their life. All of us, if you have believed the gospel at one point in your life, were a part of the world, those who were not following God. You did not believe in God or know God. And because of um, their sin and disobedience, they were under God's righteous wrath. They had fallen short of the glory of God. They had not showed God the honor due His name. And Jesus did the complete opposite of this, though. He fully revealed and glorified God in His life. And He willingly went to the cross to take the punishment that people deserved. He died in their place so that they can know God and have eternal life with God. And so if you do not quite believe this, or maybe you've never even thought about it, I would ask that you think about what the world has to offer you this week if you are one who is following the ways of the world. The world's promises do not lead to life, but instead to death. The world promotes selfish living and interests alone. It says one thing, but does another in your life, and it can't be trusted. God, however, is the one um, who follows through on his promises and brings joy to your life. And so what is keeping you from eternal life? From knowing God and believing that Jesus was sent from the Father for you. For those of us that have believed this, um, it should cause us to praise God and to glorify him. Our belief also, um, it, our, it changes who we are and whose we are. We are no longer of the world, but instead we belong to God and therefore our mission has changed. 
We are sanctified. We are set apart or consecrated for God's glory and God's mission. God has sanctified believers to live for Him. They are no longer of the world in the same way that Jesus is not of the world. Believers are neither to withdraw from the world nor to become indistinguishable from the world. This is a very easy thing to say, but it's also really hard for us to do. I struggle with this reality in the same way that I am sure that you do as well. The world's priorities of fame and fortune and power and recognition are ever-present in my life. The desire for these and to work to have them is a reality for me. But Jesus prayed for me to be sanctified in the truth of God. To know that my standing before others does not depend on these things. And more importantly, to know that my standing before God does not depend on them either. What matters is the fact that I know the Father and believe the gospel of Jesus Christ. This is also what matters for you as believers. Remember your identity and the security that you have as the Father keeps you in His name. You do, need, you do not need to look to anything else. And so as people who are set apart um, for God, we are also set apart for God's work. Um, the, the work that Jesus prays for us um, is going into the world to represent um, the Father to the world. Jesus prays for us to be equipped um, for this work. Uh, the work of making God known to the world so that those who God has called out of the world will know Him. Jesus is leaving the disciples, but he has told them in chapter 16 that when he goes, he will send the helper to them. The Holy Spirit will come to sanctify believers in the truth and equip them to do the work that God has called them to. So let us also pray for believers to be sanctified in the truth and to be sent into the world. Pray for yourselves and for others to have boldness and to be involved with the, wor- with the world, but not to be like the world. And it is through this work um, that believers help the world to know God's love. Ask God to give you opportunities to share the gospel with the world around you so that you may believe, so that the people may believe it. So in verses 20 to 26, uh, we see Jesus begin to pray for the world to know God. Through the work of believers, he focuses on the unity of believers as the way that this happens. Our third point is the unity of believers helps the world to know God's love. So in verse 20, Jesus is asking the Father and for those who will believe in Jesus through the word of believers. And so the theme of this section is, is the unity of believers as they make God known to the world. This unity isn't about how um, one Christian treats another Christian in the church or how one local church works together in partnership with another local church. It's more than that. If that were the case, then Jesus would pray with kind of like a person-to-person language rather than a God-to-person language. Jesus says in verse 21 that, that they may all be one just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they may also be in us. This unity is with God as well as a unity with others who are also in God. 
He then goes on to say in the next couple of verses that they may be one even as we are one, I in them and you in me. So the unity that Jesus speaks about, it flows from the Father to the Son to believers. Jesus knows um, that the believers have been reconciled to God and because of this they have been united with Christ. They're in God and united with God. And the reason that Jesus prays for this unity to exist is because of the witness, the powerful witness, it will be to the world. This unity will help the world to know that Jesus was sent by the Father and to know who Jesus is. This unity will also help the world to know that the Father loves the world. The world will know that God loves Jesus and the church. And this unity... It's an amazing reality, and, but also a very scary one at the same time because of the power that it has um, for good, but also the power that it has um, to represent God in a not good way. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have eternal life. How will the world know this truth? Well, Jesus told us in the prayer, the world will come to know God and His love by the sharing of God's Word and through the unity of believers. So much rides on these two things, and because of that, we need to keep them at the forefront of our minds. If we want people um, who do not yet believe to experience God's great act of unification, as 2 Corinthians 5.19 says, is the reconciling of the world to Himself, then we must remind ourselves of the unification with God, of our unification with God, and live in unity with others in the church. We can remind ourselves of our unity with Christ by remembering the gospel, knowing that the truth um, that we are held secure by God who has called us out of the world. Um, one way to remind ourselves of the importance of unity is to remember the difficulty that disunity causes. My guess is that all of us here have been in a situation where there has been disunity around the best way to get a project done. When this happens, it can cause stress between the people working on the project and it can hinder the ability um, for that work um, to move ahead. Disunity um, in the church, though, has greater consequences than getting a project done or not done on time. Disunity in the church, it hinders the witness of the gospel and the ability for people to believe it. Or if they are a believer, it hinders their ability to grow in their relationship with God. I've been a part of First Free since 2009. And in that time, I have seen a lot of people come and go from the church. There were times when some of them left the church for legitimate reasons, um, but there have been many people who have left the church for less than good reasons. They left because of a relational conflict they didn't want to put the effort into resolving. Or they left because of the decisions that the church was making in regards to such important things as song selection, class dynamics, staffing decisions, financial decisions, and the list goes on. These are important things, but they're not reasons to have disunity within the body. There was disunity that was not worked through, and many of those people who left 
They were stunted in their ability um, to be known by other believers or to know believers. They left their support network at the church and they had to start all over again at another church. This wasn't an insurmountable task for them, but it was a hardship that hindered their ability to grow in their relationship with God and other believers. When disunity in the church goes public to the world, it hurts the witness of the gospel and the ability for people to believe it. There have been some ugly church splits in history. Some of you may have been a part of one at some point in your life. They leave a bad taste in people's mouths when they hear about it. No outsider wants to come and be a part of a community that bickers and fights and struggles to get along. And so if you find yourself struggling to have unity with other believers right now, I would encourage you to talk with those you are struggling with. Seek to know what is happening more and to work to the best of your ability to be unified with them. Unity does not involve believing the exact same thing. It's more than that. It is knowing that you both believe the gospel and you have been called um, to and have experienced that unity with Christ and other believers. And it is in that that we have a shared common um, belief and understanding and we can move forward with the mission. And so unity was a big deal for Jesus and it should be a big deal for us. And so let us put in the work to be perfectly one so that the world may know God and his love. And so this preaching series in Missions Month, it was titled, That the World May Know. The world knowing God is the reason that Jesus spoke these words to the disciples and prayed this prayer for them and for us today who have yet, who had not yet believed. But now that you have believed the gospel, you have been set apart for God and His work. And I can think of no better way to conclude Missions Month than for us to go out and do the work that God has called us to do. And to do it in the way that God has called us to do it. To work and to live in unity. To share God's word to those who do not believe in the world. Will you please pray with me? Father, thank you for the work that you have done. To call us out of the world and to yourself. Thank you for your word that was spoken to us by others and for opening our eyes to see it and our hearts to believe it by faith. Father, help us to do this work for others who you will call out of the world to know your name and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. For this is eternal life. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.